0: Good morning. I, um, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Vineyard Hopkinton. Um, I'm happy to be sharing with you this morning. I don't get to share uh, every morning, but I really enjoy our passage from Exodus as we're walking through uh, most of the book of Exodus uh, over these couple of months. Um, I really enjoy what I get to be sharing about with you this morning. So, last spring, you know, you've been driving around all winter and you get some stuff on your car, right? Gets a little gross. So, so last spring, I've been driving around in this dirty car and, um, you know, about Mar- March or February last year, I start to run out of windshield washer fluid. I'm not always the best about you know, refilling some of the things in my car, et cetera, et cetera. But never fear. We live very close to two gas stations. Really, whichever way I take out of my house, I hit a gas station real quick. My solution to this problem is that on my way out, I just quick swing by the gas station, jump out of my car real quick, get one of those squeegees, squeegee off my window, throw it back in the little barrel, jump back in my car, and I'm good to go. My husband... Uh, has the privilege of driving the car with me one of these days, and he is horrified that this is my solution to the problems of life. But then the next day it rains, and um, and then you know my windshield washer fluid starts working again, and I realize that my car is parked in this spot in the drive. It's a nice nice spot to park my car underneath a tree. And we have had these caterpillars in this tree. And we are in the book of Exodus when we've been talking about plagues. We've had, you know, plague of frogs, the plague of locusts, you know, in the whole book of Exodus. And I've been dealing with my own very personal uh, caterpillar. and these caterpillars have been sitting over my car and dropping their droppings onto my car. And it's not a problem with my windshield washer fluid. It's a problem with the caterpillar poop clogging up the ducts so you know that the windshield washer fluid can't get out and and clean my windshield like I need it to. And so I'm telling my husband this. And then it rains and it cleared away all the caterpillar droppings and we're good to go. And He looks at me and he's like, that's a nice story. I put windshield water fluid in your car <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but I have this dream. It's actually a very deep-seated dream, a firmly held belief in the deep places of my heart. Other dreams have come and gone. You know, when I was a child, I wanted to be a figure skater. I grew up in the time of, like, Tanya Harding and, and Nancy Kerrigan. I, I dreamed of doing that stuff. That dream has come and gone. Uh, when I was in college, I dreamed of becoming a doctor until I faced analytical and organic chemistry I decided I don't care that much for that dream. But this dream, this dream has stayed firmly rooted in the center of my heart for over 30 years, and it is the dream that other people can solve my problems and fix things for me. I have this fantasy about my husband that he makes me happy. I walk in the door in a bad mood and I just I see him and, and his good mood just totally counteracts my bad mood and, and, and he makes me happy. I mean, he does. But, you know, I have learned something about myself I'm pretty rational, fairly reasonable. Um, I used to be very low maintenance. I would go on a trip for a whole week, carry just you know one backpack. Um, I like the simple things in life. I like the sunshine, walking my dog. I, I enjoy life. And I am way too much for one person to handle. No one can handle me. Uh, I, um, I spent a number of years uh, overseas, um, moved back. Um, I hadn't spoken you know, English with native English speakers. My English was super slow and stilted. I said, you know what I'll do? I'll move in with my twin sister, the person I love in the world the most. She can handle me, right? She couldn't handle me. And if this is true for me, it's true for you. The only one who can handle, nice, old, loamy, is God. The only one who can truly put up with all of my good sides and and bad sides, the fullness of who I am, is the one who made me. This morning we're in um, our series on the book of Exodus, uh, as I mentioned, and we're talking about the story of the Israelite. Uh, How they were in captivity and slavery in Egypt, God rescued them. God brought them out miraculously, led them in this journey of discovering who they were as a people group, uh, establishing good boundaries for them, leading them into the promised land where he would establish them as a community of faith. He would bless them to be a blessing to others. He would show them who God was so that they could show uh, the nations around them who God was. Some theologians nickname it the gospel according to Moses because it just covers so much uh, of what it means to have God rescue us and bring us into a healthy community of faith. But in our passage today, the Israelites had to learn, just like all of us, that there's only one person they can really turn to. Only one person who can handle their problems and frustrations, only one person that they can turn to in times of need. And when they do, God meets them and provides for them in amazing and miraculous ways. So let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into our scripture this morning. Jesus, we give our attention to you as we turn to read the Bible. Uh, We just open our hearts to you right now this morning. We ask that we would learn something about who you are, about who we are, and that we would leave this place uh, a little changed from how we entered this morning. Thank you, God, that you do want to meet us in whatever struggles or problems that we have. You don't want us to just solve it by ourselves and, and then come to you when we're all good. You want to meet us in the midst of whatever we're going through in life. So we come to you with what we're going through, and come to you with our, our hopes, our desires, our dreams. Thank you for bringing us here together this morning. Jesus, thank you that you lay out good things for us this morning. We turn to you with expectancy, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Exodus 16. So they've been rescued out of Egypt, we've had all of this miraculous big stuff, and now they're on what should be a relatively short journey into the promised land. Spoiler alert, it is a long journey. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Wow, they had a nice life as slaves. Imagine that. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Ouch. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? They did not know what it was. So manna can be translated as like, whatchamacallit. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Omer is like two liters, so like two Diet Coke's worth. Uh, The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Big surprise, they kept part of it until the morning. But in the morning, it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leader of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said, you will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the, sab- on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. And the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. So you have really just an amazing, miraculous, supernatural story of God providing for them in their journey. Uh, they had been slaves in Egypt. Um, it had been, you know, a very difficult time. Sometimes, uh, if you read American history books, there'll sometimes be this like myth of the happy slave, you know, um, with a, with a good slave master. That is a lie. That is designed by the slave masters and the ruling class. Like um, in, you know, especially the American chattel slavery model. You know, there's something deeply. Um, Deeply disturbing and wrong about owning another person about the work of your hands going to someone else There's just really no such thing as a happy slave But their journey to freedom was Tremendously difficult and they faced new and different challenges. They're very legitimately hungry, but instead of saying God we're really hungry, we'd really like some food right now, like, let's try and take care of this problem. Instead, they said, Moses and Aaron, y'all are trying to kill us. They grumbled and complained instead of dealing with their problems head on. And you know, this might be vaguely familiar to some of us, right? Well, what do we like to complain about? Me, me personally, um, I like to complain about things not going the way I want them to, especially around the area of time, schedules, n- new commitments that, that, that pop up from, from the school or, or whatever. That's, that's a um, favorite of mine. Um, what is it for you? Anyone have annoying neighbors? Coworkers? Work itself? The, there's always the weather. If you haven't got anything else to complain about, there's always the weather. Um, If you can't think of anything that you complain about, uh, we've got a comedian here who might have a couple things that can jog your memory. Maybe, maybe not. Right? Yes, yes, we do like to complain about technology, don't we? All right, well, we we can move on. If that video clip is not loading, that's fine. Um, But you know, complaining really is a socially acceptable sin, right? Everything is amazing
1: right now, and nobody's happy. Like, in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. We had a phone that you had to stand next to, and you had to dial it. Yes. You You don't realize how primitive, you're making sparks. In a phone, and you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more And then if you, if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself And then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank for When yes. it was open for like three hours You had to stand in line, write yourself a check like an idiot and then when you run out of money, you just go, well, I can't do any more things now. <laughs> right. I can't do any more That's things. That's it, yeah. It's the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. Right. And then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway. For 40 minutes, we had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly (laughs) like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? That you have to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, oh, my God! Wow! Yes! You're flying! You're... You're... And a chair in the sky. Yes. yes. <laughs> but but it, doesn't, it doesn't go back a lot. And it's, and it's really... You know, here's the thing. People, like, they say there's delays on flights. Delays, yeah. really? New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years <laughs> to do that. And a bunch you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. <laughs>
0: It's funny because it's true, right? <laughs> oh, Yeah, I mean, I, I worked in, in a restaurant and they would tell us don't, don't let the customers have a bad experience. One bad experience gets told 10 times around the water cooler on Monday morning. A good experience gets shared once, once, or twice. Um, but, you know, m- many of us do like to, to complain. Now, we have problems, and it is healthy. And normal and good to share our problems, and I am not judging these guys in the Book of Exodus. Right? They hadn't eaten in three days. If I don't eat for half a day, I get hangry. I start rummaging through the refrigerator. I start eating things that you know nobody should be eating. I'm not judging these guys. They had very legitimate problems, and it's good to share your problems. But here's why their complaining wasn't okay. Number one, complaining distorts the past. It warps and distorts the past. These guys, they made no mention of Pharaoh and his unreasonable demands, and in an indirect way, the people seem to blame God, not just for their hunger here and now in in the desert, but also for their slavery back in Egypt. They say, if only we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt. By the hands of the Lord, like, Pharaoh was the one who was killing their babies, right? But somehow the Lord will, could have killed them back in, in, in Egypt. And this is one of the problems with nostalgia and, and romanticizing and, and the, the good old days. The good old days weren't just the good old days. You just had different problems yesterday. And then complaining exaggerates the past. You want to make your problems bigger? Complain about them. Their complaints weren't reasonable. Um, God went to all this trouble, they're seeming to apply. God God went to all this trouble to bring them out of Egypt, and then he's going to kill them by starvation here in the land of of Egypt. It's really exaggerating uh, their problems, and it's not reasonable. Complaining turns your gifts into burdens. They had freedom. Nobody else was telling them what, where, and when to eat. They had gifts, but the and they came with, you know, real cost. But complaining turns your gifts into burdens. You know, do you complain about your job? I mean, listen, I've had some tough jobs, right? I've had jobs where, you know, I started eating Taco Bell takeout at 7 p.m. at night, just stopping the drive through at 7 p.m. on my way back. I felt terrible. I did not uh, enjoy that, that job. Um, I didn't complain about it too much, I think, because I was a... Um, I really wanted that job, and I I had too much pride to complain about it, but I did update my resume and take action and and move on quickly. But our jobs are what put a roof over our head and food on on the table, um, and we don't want to turn our gifts into burdens. And then lastly, when we look at, at what these guys were doing, complaining, distrusted God complaining, distrusted God. Um, And just living in a negative headspace and complaining says, you know, I don't think there's good out there. I don't think good is going to come out out of this. I don't think somebody else is in control. And when we approach life, when we approach God, when the negative comes first, the negative leads the parade, that minimizes God's role. And we do this to God a lot. Um, I saw this uh, cartoon elephants coming off of the uh, ark. they like, some cruise, it rained the whole time. <laughs> right? When we put our complaints first, we minimize what God is doing. We, we distrust that God has our best interests in mind, and we complain about what we don't have. We try to convince other people to have sympathy on us, have pity on us. Other people just don't know how bad we have it. Life's not on our side. Other people aren't on our side and ultimately God isn't on our side so how do we trust God in our problems well I think first we bring our problems to God not to other people it honors God as the source and the solution instead of grumbling about things behind his back we need to tell our problems to God first not other people. We see this in the book of Exodus at the start. Um, Exodus 2, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. They cried out to God, and God heard them. But now they've been through some things. They're in the desert. Um, and it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They didn't cry out to God, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Who hears your problems first? It should be God. And listen, I know when I'm complaining. I know. Instinctively, I know the difference between honestly sharing and complaining. You know, I think about it like, you know, different things around the house. You know, I'll lose my, my Tupperware, I'll lose the, the, the remote, whatever. And in my mind, I think about it a little bit like, complaining is, what did you do with the remote again? Honesty is, I can't find the remote Could you help me find it? Do you know where it is? I'm in control. I'm leading the parade with my problems, with whatever we have to work on, with my baggage. But I'm in control. I'm leading the parade, um, and I'm asking for help as I need it. Uh, Grumbling is different than honesty and uh, sharing our problems. Um, I think about this summer. I was uh, hiking with my kids, and every summer we go up to this camp uh, in the Adirondacks, my husband has learned to, to tolerate the outdoor activities. And um, we, we went on this beautiful hike. It's about 45 minutes, well, for me, it's about 45 minutes up to the top with kids. It's about two hours. And um, we did it the first day, and it was nice. And you know, we spend most of the week there, and we had some rainy days. And Well, the kids got to get out of the house. We got to do something. Let's do that nice little hike again. So we take them up. But you know, it's been raining. It's a little muddy, there are bugs out. This hike is not going very well. So I say, okay, whoever can make it to the top of the mountain with no more complaining gets an extra cookie. You know, some moms pack granola bars. I just look at the nutrition facts and like, I'll give you all chocolate chip cookies at the top of the hill. So it's my two kids, Um, we've got three cousins, we've got a two-year-old in a uh, backpack. And um, I, I tell my kids, now you can honestly tell me your feelings but no more complaining. And my dad, who has raised three kids, looks at me he's like, Really? You know, good luck with that one. I say, No, 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 dad. I have two daughters and I do their hair every week. They know the difference between complaining and telling me their honest feelings. So we get part of the way up. My five-year-old, she's she's reaching for for a rock, clambering over these rocks, and at that exact same moment, her four-year-old cousin steps on that rock and just smashes right down on her poor little hand. So she's just bawling, bawling. Finally, she gets it under control. She takes some deep breaths, and she's like, Mommy, I just hate hiking. I'm like, that's fine because these are her real valid feelings. What I was looking to minimize was the comments on the bugs. Like, the bugs have a personal vendetta against me and the counting of the bugs. Why are there so many bugs? And, you know, that's what I want to get rid of. But when you dig deep and you just say, I just hate this and I never want to do this again in my life, I'm actually okay with that. Um, God encourages honesty. God really does encourage honesty. Um, And I think honesty are the things you kind of have to dig deep to find a little bit. Honesty is the things you don't want to admit necessarily. Honesty is saying, I hoped better things for this, and it's really disappointing me. Honesty is saying, you know, I'm just a little bored with life right now. Grumbling and complaining? Grumbling and complaining is what everybody already knows. When we read the Bible, uh, this passage, um, them in the desert, is held up as a negative example of kind of what not to do. Um, And sometimes that's the best interpretation of the Bible. See what the Bible has to say about the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy 6.16 says, don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did in the wilderness. Uh, Psalm 95 says, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah as you did that day in the wilderness. Turn to God. Don't distrust God. Don't exaggerate your problems. Don't romanticize the past. Don't turn to each other. Don't put your problems on each other. Turn to God. Like us, the Israelites complained and grumbled about very real problems, um, and that's on them. That's, you know, their, their fault. Well, what's God's response to this? How does God respond in, in all of this? Well, actually, it seems like God's pretty focused on the people and their needs and providing for them. God goes to work doing what he does best, taking care of folks in tough situations. Listen, I'm not a pleasant person when I complain. The Israelites weren't either. Uh, But God, I can know that when I am in a tough spot, that God hears me, God's gracious and compassionate, and God's first concern actually is taking care of me. God's solution to complaining God starts providing for them. And he gives them manna, but only enough, only as much as they need. Uh, none of them are hungry. It's all equal. The one who works really hard and does the extra good job gets enough. The one who doesn't do such a good job gets enough. God's goal is that everyone is provided for, everyone is taken care of, no one is, is hungry. Um, God is a God of enough. Not too much, not too little. And I think this kind of cuts off our complaining at the knees. God will give us enough. End of story. Will we be like the folks who tried to work extra hard, get extra, tried to work on the day off, get ahead a little bit? God is the God of enough. Corrie ten Boom is one of the um, kind of saints of the 20th century. Uh, She was a Christian woman in Nazi Germany who hid Jews in her house. Um, She was discovered, um, spent some time in a concentration camp, survived, thankfully, um, and told her story uh, for many years afterwards. Um, But she grew up in a strong Christian home. And growing up, I think God kind of gave her a a premonition, um, a little warning, as God nicely does sometimes, And she said she had a feeling as a young child um, that God was going to call her to do something great. And she went to her her father and said, You know, I have this feeling that God's going to call me to do something great. And when he does, I won't have the courage to do it. And her father said to her, Corey, if you go and uh, take a train trip to visit your grandmother, when do I give you the train fare? She said, you know, at at the train station, Father. He said, that's right. I don't give it to you a week or two weeks ahead because you might lose it or, or spend it on something else. I give you what you need when you need it. And that surely was true in her life, and that's true for us. God gives us what we need when we need it, and it's always enough. And then God's second solution to, to kind of calm their hearts and soothe their anxieties, was rest. Before God gives any other rules, before we get the Ten Commandments, before we get all the other rules of the Hebrew Scriptures, which there are a lot, God gives them the Sabbath. Sorry. Um, and with his instruction about the Sabbath comes provision. He tells them what to do and then he makes it possible for them. And there's something about resting intentionally and purposefully that says it's not all up to me. I do not have to work, 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 strive, perform, excel. I can be at peace. I can take a day off and the world keeps turning. It's not all up to me. I am not God. I can take a break. I started doing a a day of rest in college. senior year of, of college. Um, I was starting to get serious about following Jesus. I'd started following Jesus at uh, the beginning of college for me. Um, I said, you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. I should probably, you know, give this thing a try. I, I took Sundays off. Didn't have to be Sundays, but it was as bad a day as uh, any other day. Man, people thought I was going to fail out of college. So close. Senior year, too. What, what a shame. And people just thought, like, you know, there's no way I could take a full day off. Like, sure, they they hadn't gotten up till noon and had been partying all night, but, like, I just don't think you can take a day off totally. I didn't make a big deal out of it. If I had to do, you know, if I had a big test or something on Monday, I would clearly, you know, do a little um, on on my day off. But it really did something for me. It really did. It um, broke some of my addictions to busyness and control. And it definitely broke some of my addiction to complaining about busyness. God provides enough. And he tells us to sit back and rest and be at peace in an act that's you know, discipline and it requires trust to rest and be at peace and to know that he will provide enough for us. When the Israelites went through in, in their journey, What they had to go through with being hungry and traveling and not knowing where they were going. Some of the same things that we go through on our spiritual journey. That God is leading us somewhere, but we don't know where it's going. We have a different set of problems than we did last year or the decade before. And what they had to go through is they learned who God was and God brought them into the promised land of knowing him and receiving from him. See, in the wilderness, they hadn't learned it yet. They knew more about Pharaoh's plans than they did about God's plans. They knew more about Pharaoh's plans than they did about God's plans. And us too. We can know all about politics, nutrition, our career, but we have to know so deeply God's plans for us. Jesus has entered into our wandering and our searching and on our questions, and he's made a way for us. God came to us as one of us. He didn't come and just yell at us for, for messing up or for failing. He, he could have, but he came as one of us, and he walked through life with us, and he entered into the world problems that we can have he entered into death loneliness oppression and he overcame it through his death and his resurrection on the cross jesus made a way forwards for us he's taking us somewhere there is a promised land that god wants to bring us into and he tells us on this journey that he is enough with him there's forgiveness and grace and peace and hope and purpose and love that he will provide for our needs, that he hears us and he cares about us. You know, this word manna literally translated, what is it? Um, It's a famous story in the Bible. And um, as we close, it just kind of spoke to me this week. um, Because when we go through things and we encounter new things, so much of the time, that's what we say. We say, what is it? God blesses us with something we're like, what is it? Who, who is this person who is entering my life? I don't know. I'm supposed to listen to them. I'm supposed to you know, have a relationship with them. Who is it? Where is it? I'm supposed, there's a job promotion. Where? Uh, this person lives where? I'm supposed to go where? What is it? Like, what are these feelings? Why am I entering this new situation at this point in life? What is it that's going on inside of me, inside of her, with our relationship? What is it? We look at new people uh, new situations in our life. And we just say, what? I imagine the Israelites kind of poking at it with a stick, saying, what? I'm supposed to eat it? God has new good things for us. And manna is about openness and trust that God provides for us. He knows our needs. He meets us in the midst of our searching and wandering. Manna is about openness and trust, about believing that God provides for us and hears us and cares about us, that God gives and he wants to give to us generously this morning. Worship team, uh, if you guys want to come on up. As we worship, we're going to sing a couple of songs acknowledging who God is, focusing our attention on God. But this morning, let's respond with openness and trust. Knowing that God does not hold back from us. God does not withhold and be like, I've got all the good stuff, but I'm just going to give it out to you in very tiny portions. God gives us generously what is good for us enough when we need it and we can take our problems directly to God he cares we don't have to put them on other people we can give them to God and he'll deal with them so let's stand together Let's pray together as we enter uh, a time of worship. Jesus, we thank you um, for what you did for our uh, forefathers in faith. And in this kind of amazing, miraculous, supernatural story that you provided for them. But thank you that this is your nature and your character. That you give to us. That you take care of us, Jesus. You do not withhold from us. You are not holding out on us. But you give us generously of your very self. You want to be with us and to meet us in whatever we're going through, Jesus. So this morning we give you whatever we're prone to complain about, whatever we're prone to grumble about, Jesus. We give it to you. When we look to you, we want to take things straight to you, acknowledging you as the source and solution. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.